This is the ADHD Fix: How to Achieve Your Potential, the podcast to help you use 15 proven strategies to discover the many gifts of ADHD. I'm Henry J. Svek, and for over 30 years, I helped others diagnose and treat ADHD. Now retired, I turn my attention back to those 15 strategies I use to help achieve my potential with ADHD. Learning what I did to help myself will help you achieve your success. ADHD is a gift. Let's get started. Welcome to the podcast. This is the first podcast for the ADHD fix. I'm Henry Speck. So today was pretty exciting. The、um, book, the ADHD fix, that Josh and I released about six years ago, came out on Audible today, and that's why we decided、um, and talked to Melanie and Dan and OSR Clinics. Decided to put this podcast out every Monday, and I've committed to do 52 more of these. So that for one year, every Monday, you'll be able to listen to something related to ADHD, a treatment perhaps, or a strategy. I'm going to be talking about the 15 different strategies and, and rules we talk about in the book. And each week, I'll talk about those. But in between those, I'll have special guests. These will be guests who've been diagnosed with ADHD as adults, how they're handling the challenges, and how they're achieving. Beyond their potential. So, on this, the first podcast ever done for the ADHD fix. I thought I would before I talk about the first strategy, which is to release the stigma of ADHD. That's chapter one in our book, the ADHD fix, that came out on Audible today. We're very excited about it.、Um, and I'll just tell you the reason it came out today was we, we we spent a lot of time thinking about it, and we realized again what a mistake I made that for most of us with ADHD. It's much easier to listen. I should say, for some of us with ADHD, it's much much easier for us to listen while we're working out or、um, driving in the car. And maybe we listen to the book over and over again until some of the things maybe make sense. I listen to books over and over to try to help、uh, with some of that auditory stuff. So let me take let me take you back to to where I started with this. So when I was growing up, there was there really was not a lot of Of diagnosis for ADHD,、um, the the thought wasn't even there. Although thinking back now to some of my classmates throughout elementary and secondary school, just from their behavior, they probably should have had an assessment today,、uh, because a lot of it was based on not just inattentive type, which is what I had. See, I I was diagnosed very late in life, in my forties, with a form of inattentive ADHD, which which was also sort of Compounded with some what we call pockets of giftedness, and, and let me explain what that means. Pocket, pockets of giftedness. You may feel the same way, or you may have a child with the same kind of symptoms. There, there's a real drastic shift from some days you do incredibly well, and other days you might fail on the same topic, on the same task. And the second thing that happens with that is.、Um, Because you're good in some areas, or some areas you're pretty, pretty. You seem to have some talent. At least I did. Then in other areas, you, you just, you just. I was totally incompetent, and so people would say, "Well, you, you know, you tried really hard over here. You got a great grade, or you produced a great paper, or whatever the issue was in school. We're primarily talking school, but over here, it looks like you're just loafing. You didn't do anything. When it, in my mind, I was working about as hard as I could. 
So when I was in my 40s, as we talk about in the book, late 30s, sorry, late 30s, and had a chance to have uh, brain scans by some of the world experts in different parts of the world, they all pretty much said the same thing. And when I looked at the pictures and they evaluated the inattentiveness and what was going on in different parts of my brain, they, they said, without a doubt, I had a form of inattentive ADD, which had to do with significant slowing in certain parts of my brain. In other parts of my brain, I was pretty jacked up. So it was a it was a bit of a confusing profile. But probably the most important thing you would see if you look at the history, which we talk about in the introduction of the book, is the gradual reduction in grades. You know, when you go from a 90-some percent all the way down to graduating high school with a 60 percent, it, it was just a constant, constant push down in grades because the less organized you are, the less focused you are, then, uh, you know, the work, work becomes more complex. And I also had problems uh, with expressive language. And this was before the, um, say, word processing or uh, some of the software we have today. So if I had to write something by hand, it's going to look really ugly. And, and back in the day, if you couldn't express yourself on paper in a proper manner, um, it, you were in trouble. And this sort of continues to sort of um, sort of haunt me for a while until I finally realized what the disability was. And not to make excuses, but then to learn how to move to a place where I could be successful. Sometimes when I talk about ADHD in, in, as a gift and how it's, it's helped me, and this is one of the reasons I want to do the podcast as well, because now I'm kind of at the end of the game, if you will. The, the years that I have left are less than the years that I've lived. And I've experienced these strategies that I, we wrote about in the book for probably about, I'd say, 15 or 20 years. We started using them, and then we didn't document them until later. But I'm sort of a product of these rules, if you will. And I'm only an N of one, so I'm only one person. But I'm just going to explain throughout these podcasts how I use these rules to be able to um, harness the energy, as I call it, and to be able to have a heck of a lot of fun in a lot of different areas. So years ago, when I graduated school and was in need of, uh, of employment, I had five different jobs. Two were full-time and three were part-time. And I was very compartmentalized, you would think, with everything from the the time I spent with my family to the time I worked because because work was necessary to be able to take care of the family. Uh, three children and starting a new career in my 30s, uh, a career that was based on helping people, not on economics, was was a real, a real interesting challenge. And then from that, I learned that there's some specific strategies you can do to work as hard as you can in specific areas. In my case, when I was a clinician for 30 years, I worked on being a clinician, running, running four mental health clinics and seeing clients and trying to help them and work with staff and all those great things. As well, I was working as a real estate investor. That was a primary focus during that time. Um, and part of that time as well, and it sort of intermingled, was writing a, a few books, including this one, but most of my time was spent between those two and spending time and, and hopefully helping 
at, with the family. When I retired, I added a couple of things. So I, I focus on um, investment in real estate. I also focus on converting our 50 acre farm back to nature. So I'm a servant beekeeper. Uh, so we're, we've converted our farm back to nature and a honeybee sanctuary. Mary and I just wrote a book, uh, What Grandpa Learned From His Honeybees. You can go check that out. And it's about uh, the little book to help you be smart with your money and help the environment. And, and it's about investing uh, the 10 rules that the honeybees teach us. So I focus on the honeybee farm. I focus on my value investments, and that includes stocks, bonds, and mentoring some folks who are running uh, small uh, startups. And I also am a licensed private investigator where I, where I volunteer my time to um, look into injustice, in this case, fraud and theft primarily in not-for-profits. So when I'm working in one of those areas, I kind of put a box around it, and that's one of the strategies we'll talk about in future shows, the box technique. And I put a box around it, and I, I'm fully immersed in that process. So today in doing this podcast, for example, I'm working on the author side and the giving back side, the charitable side of myself. And, and so when I'm focused on this for the next few hours that I put in, working on this one specific podcast, it was about that. And then I move on, perhaps tomorrow morning, I'll be working on the bee farm or whatever is on the schedule. And that'll become more clear, I think, as we work through it. The other thing is I get to guess is I'm going to ask the guests, what's your typical daily routine? So I've been using the 15 strategies in the book pretty much all my adult life, off and on, um, until they were you know, formalized and now I use them every day. But what's my typical day like? And let me go through my typical day now to tell you the structure that I put in my routine that might help you understand a little bit of what you need to do to achieve your true potential. So I get up fairly early. Um, adults with ADHD tell me some of them are early risers, some of them are late risers and work better at night. Whatever works for you. I don't believe there's a magic formula. But for me, I've learned my best work is done between 5 a.m. and 12 p.m., so 5 to noon. So I can get, if I can get seven hours in off and on, maybe till 3 o'clock, I'll be okay. Beyond that, it's not such a great product. So get up fairly early, usually 5 if I'm lucky. 5 is like sleeping in. Uh, grab some breakfast, check on the news. Every day, seven days a week, I get a workout in. Uh, with exercisemd.ca, I get an emailed prescriptive exercise program, primarily for brain health. Now remember, the science tells us that a person with ADHD who does some exercise, now the amount is, it can be as, as little as 10 minutes, probably 30 is best. I do anywhere from 30 to 45, depending on the day. Um, we'll have a brain that looks non-ADHD-like for over three hours. Think about that for a minute. If you exercise, and if you have ADHD, you will have as good focus concentration, probably better than people who do not have the diagnosis. So if you think about that for a minute and you're an adult with ADHD, I'm not sure why you wouldn't do that. Make sure a physician says it's okay, but that's the first step. Then I would have a snack, uh, peanut butter usually. Uh, then I get to work. And I work right up till noon. Then I generally take a break. 
um, we'll go and do some, that's a good time to do some bee work because my focus is not as great. So if I'm going out to check a beehive or, or do some research, then I'll take another break, eat some dinner. And now I've started to work for an hour or two after dinner. Might be reading, might be doing research, might be working on a project. And that's pretty much my typical day. Now, before I get into this week's topic, which is release the stigma of ADHD, let's take a moment to hear from our sponsor. Assessing ADHD requires more than a five-minute office visit. The experienced, multidisciplinary team at OSR Clinics will walk with you and your family through the comprehensive assessment and diagnosis process and will be by your side when it comes to implementation of strategies and advocacy for your child. Visit osrclinics.com to book your free info session today. That's osrclinics.com. Releasing the stigma of ADHD. Now, I think this has changed over time. If we think back and look at what we mean by stigma, we, we really talk about a stigma of, of many diagnoses related to mental health conditions. Now, ADHD is much more rare than people would think. Uh, today, it's a bit difficult because we're seeing a lot more experts, if you will, talk about the impact of uh, social media and children always being quickly reinforced with um, iPhones and other kinds of video games that they can play anywhere, anytime. But we do know that ADHD to be diagnosed properly, uh, which is what it happens at OSR clinics, is you, you get a comprehensive assessment. And so the stigma is often related to a couple of factors. One, um, primarily I think it's, it's more common in boys than girls, is that in men and women is that men have a hard time accepting that, that there could be something that's sort of underlyingly causing their behavior or difficulty. Uh, sometimes it can be related to um, uh, polypharmacy, many different medications, or it can be also related to self-medication through alcoholic drugs to try to control the symptoms. The stigma is also related to what people believe to be a negative connotation with ADHD. And sometimes people will joke about it and sometimes people will make statements that are that are highly inappropriate in educational settings, family settings. So let me give you my summary after 30 years of work and living with this for 67 years of my life. Here's what I think about that topic. Regardless of all my background education or training, it took me a, a long time to accept the fact that it's actually, in my case, and I think in most cases, almost like a temperament issue. Certainly it's a diagnosed condition. Certainly you can see the markers. We can understand what's happening. But for me, it just simply helps outline the pattern or the, the strategies that need to happen and the tools that need to be made available so that this incredible energy can be harnessed. For example, I don't call it a stigma. If I can work in the three areas I'm working in now, so I spend a great deal of time working in the areas of value investing, for example, reading, um, investing, calling companies, 
doing research, doing background through my experience as a private investigator, but turning that into an advantage when it comes to checking out backgrounds of, of people who run companies, do I really want to invest in these people and so on. Or if I'm focused on working in the honeybee uh, sanctuary and looking at uh, research on genetics and how worker bees, and this was the latest problem we talked about this, uh, this winter, how do worker bees pass on their genetics to the next generation? And other types of questions like that. And thirdly, and, and I can do that area generally when I'm unable to focus at all because it's quite stimulating, is the actual investigation of fraud and theft. So if I didn't have that energy, for example, if I didn't have the ability to harness that energy that comes with ADHD, I might be able to work on one of those areas. But because of the need for variety, the need for challenge, which is a which is a gift when you're you know you're private, uh, you're working on your own, you're an entrepreneur, you're the boss, I'm the boss, and most things that I do. It's an incredible gift, and I think that's why for me it's not a stigma. So the answer to that question, to release the stigma, is to accept some things about your temperament once you're diagnosed. And what are what is the maximum outcome you can produce in certain environments? Remember, that's also when you're taking care of your family, when you're playing with your children, when you're interacting with others. What kind of environment do you, do you need to be in to be optimally effective? So for me to release the stigma is to accept that it's a real diagnosis, but it comes with a, what I would call a temperament, which is probably the most accurate thing I can say about that. And with that comes incredible opportunity and potential that no one else has as you will have. Now I'm speaking from, I'm now 66, 67 doing okay in the three areas I've chosen to work on. Now, the, the, the earliest area, or sorry, the, the least experienced area for me would be the honeybee sanctuary. I've only been working on that with Mary for about five years. Value investing has been about 40. Private investigation, probably seven. I know very little about all those areas. When it comes to value investing after 40 years, maybe... I'm, I'm at 10%, 15%, depends on the area. But so if we do a coin flip, it's 50-50. And I can add 15% probability of success and I'm at 65%. That's pretty good. But with that comes a lot of failure. And we'll be talking about that in future podcasts about uh, one of the strategies to impact that, primarily as it relates to self-esteem. So let me summarize. To release the stigma... Part of it is to get an accurate diagnosis and then to look at the temperament that you have. You already know what it is probably, but it's about then seeing the incredible potential, the ability to surpass anyone that you know. You're gonna to have to work. You're gonna to have to outwork other people. You're gonna to have to be that person who comes early, stays late, works hard, works beyond what's expected. And you will be incredibly successful and have a lot of fun. So that winds up our first episode. We're going to try to keep them to 15 to 30 minutes, depending. I don't want you to have to listen to me for too much time <laughs> straight up. But uh, some of these concepts take a little bit of explaining, and I'm hoping they will help you. So again, you can pick up our book, uh, The ADHD Fix, on Audible. It's now available, or the regular print version, wherever you pick up your books. So I'm Henry J. Speck 
for, AD, for the ADHD fix. We'll see you again next week.